Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS, and today we're speaking with Bozidar Jovicevich, MD, MBA, former pharma executive, CEO, and co-founder of Evermed. This episode is sponsored by Evermed. So, Bozy, we, we, we chatted before, and uh, I think that one challenge that our members and the wider medical affairs community is now facing is that we know we need to be developing modular content. We know what that is, but we don't know what to do with it. So what do we do with it? How do we use these Netflix-like content hubs to engage KOLs and, and leverage the power of this modular content that we know we should be creating? Hi, Garth. Uh, first of all, great to uh, talk with you again. I'm really excited about uh, chatting with you on this topic. So first of all, modular content is gaining more and more popularity. It's a really powerful way to scale content by having it in a shorter modular way it supports a variety of formats. It can be video, audio, PDF, and also works really well for regional and global teams where you have different challenges like languages, things like that. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and before that, and one of the things that I'm, reasons I'm excited about seeing more and more modular content is that that means that pharma teams are observing the overarching macro trends out there, which is that in this post-COVID world, Doctors want to engage with content first and representative from pharma companies second. So it's content first and rep or MSL second. And wait, wait, it's very can we put a point on that because I think a lot of our members would say it's engagement first and content second. Is there some sort of shift here in in the way HCPs and KOLs want to engage with medical affairs in general? Yes, there is a shift, and it's actually a shift that it's not unique and exclusive to pharma or doctors. Um, and sometimes when I join a call with pharma executives, I, I say, well, last time you wanted to buy a car or a TV was your first thought. Let me call a sales representative or any representative <laughs> from a Mercedes or Sony. No, yeah. <laughs> you may have talked to a representative, but the first thought was first action was usually let me go online. And let me go online and educate and self-educate. Mm -hmm. And typically, I will go to a third-party website. So I'm looking for an honest review, trusted review of X. Let's say I'm buying a Mercedes. So go review of Mercedes E-Class. I don't know. So I would get information there. But then I would go to first-party content hub of Mercedes. So I would go to Mercedes.com knowing that it's a little bit more biased. They love their products, of course. However, now I have more technical questions. So I'm looking for that information about their product. And after I'm done with that, and I still want to buy this car, then I may reach out to a human being, whatever their role is, human being represented from a company, and have more technical conversations where I'm more informed, more educated, what I would ask them and maybe ask for a discount. So in the same way that all of us are buying and purchasing anything today, that's how doctors nowadays nowadays, especially in the post-COVID world, when they experience the benefit of convenience, self-service, on-demand, available anytime, anywhere content, that's how they want to interact with content, discover, and potentially adopt new treatments. So, and there's a reason why you say content first, and then 
human engagement second, because you can engage with content as well, right? So actually, Bozzy, let's take a step back because, you know, I, I started saying that everyone is comfortable with modular content, but I'm not sure that's actually the case. You know, we're comfortable with the idea of modular content and and how, you know, what it should be. It should be these short consumables. But but how do we actually get it? How do companies find the content that becomes modular? Yes, great question. Content is a challenging topic because <laughs> pharma companies and pharma teams know that they need more content. The content first future that I described is there. So no matter what we discuss here, content first future is something how is how doctors want to educate and engage. Okay. And so the question is, where does the content come from? And it's a scary topic for a lot of pharma executives. Our estimate talking to the market every day, is that about 85% of pharma teams are content not ready and oh, about 50% are content ready. Now, the content okay. not ready folks never object whether more content is needed. They simply are in an early stage and are thinking, how do I even think about modular? What about content supply chain? How do I tag the content? How do I centralize? How do I organize? How do I produce? How much money I spend? The content ready folks have already aligned internally. That they need more content. Now, one other thing I like to throw in is that we see that there, you know, across the board, there are three ways to have more content. Mm -hmm. One, the most difficult one, where you have most control, is to create new content that costs most. However, uh, my suggestion, recommendation is always never to go to fancy studios. Nowadays, you can actually create great content remotely and beautify, edit it. And you know, make sure that it doesn't cost that much. So the cost of content okay. creation. One is creation. But the other two, yes, that's creation. And the other two are um, faster. And it's content uh, repurposing and content licensing. Content licensing is you go somewhere where there is already content, you license it, such as medical societies. You license a full track on heart failure, let's say, if you have a drug in heart failure, and you say, this is the content we license from Cardiology Association X. We didn't touch it. We didn't review it. It's here. So that's valuable. That's content licensing. And the third one is content repurposing. If you have one, two, three, four, five webinars, there is, you know, 12 things you can do with those webinars to turn one webinar into 10 to 20 short form content pieces in a meaningful way, not just cutting them in short pieces. So we recommend that to be the first step and then licensing and content creation step two and three. Oh, interesting. So repurposing, you, you've, uh, it's funny, I, again, we're going to maps relevant things. We have all these webinars and I can absolutely imagine, um, I don't want to say cannibalizing them, but chopping them up into bits and using them in more consumable short form ways. All right. So content, let's get back to then now, what do we do with it? Yes. So it's already really hard for most pharma teams to commit to producing content regularly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I see pharma teams that have spent so much time thinking about the content, curriculums, KOLs, type of formats, production, et cetera, et cetera, that they haven't spent enough time thinking about the content delivery or content experience. Because if you take an amazing content, let's say it's a KOL-based video series or a library, right? So yeah. doctor goes there, sees a trusted KOL or five trusted KOLs, looks at the topic, short form video, let's say, and says, wow, this is actually an excellent topic. It's a new drug. I'm interested in new clinical data or maybe disease related new clinical data. I'm, I'm there. 
But if that content is delivered through a static, outdated, non-mobile optimized, clunky, old school website, content could be so amazing, but it's delivered on a non-Netflix-like <laughs> looking experience, doctors usually then get frustrated. In 88% of the time, if they don't have first user experience, they never come back. So they're lost forever when it comes to a, a portal or a website. And that's the reason why content is one part of the whole story, but content delivery, the Netflix-like content delivery is another part. And when I say Netflix-like content delivery, I mean on-demand access, anytime, anywhere, anywhere, convenient, personalized Netflix-like. So the more content you have, the more personalization is needed. So it doesn't always look the same. Uh, and it's also intuitive, easy user experience, mobile optimized with a powerful search capability. So I don't end up being frustrated and overwhelmed and leaving. I end up being happy, joyful. I'm learning, being curious to discover more. It, it's funny. Um, sometimes on these podcasts, uh, I, I go in looking for the value for our members who work in pharma and med tech. And what I find is, oh my gosh, look at all these things that maps should be doing. And this is actually really resonating with me because, you know, we are a content producing organization. This podcast is one example of the, I don't know, modular content that we produce. And I'm thinking about how we don't necessarily um, offer the Netflix-like experience that I would like to offer. So I'm going to be taking notes on best practices here today. What I'm thinking is that what you're describing in a content delivery and engagement platform is very much modernized from what I see at almost any pharma site right now. You know, and I, I wonder if our focus on modular content brought us only so far. You know, we focus on the content. Here's here's the content. It's going to be great. Here's all the different you know, ways we can leverage that to, you know, have different languages and different delivery formats for the same sort of information. But I don't think we're landing these platforms yet. So, okay, you're saying it has to be personalized. It has to be accessible. Um, it has to be Netflix-like so that people can go and self-serve themselves with information so, so what else? What else about these platforms or best practices? How do we, how do we help these pharma organizations and maps create a de decent content delivery platform? Yes, um, that's a great question. So, given the the current reality, first of all, of the teams in medical affairs, pharma, or medtech, is that they usually have some sort of a portal, yeah. and usually it's more static portal that has different. Uh, different uh, types of information, right? Not just KOL-based videos, but different types of information. One way to do it without disrupting how things already work is to not replace an HTTP portal. So that's one use case. But say, look, we have an HTTP portal. There's a lot of useful information. There's MediInfo. There's all kinds of things. But we would like to enrich it with content. That's video, audio, PDF. Nowadays, uh, rich media, video, and audio content is very powerful. So one way to do it is to simply embed a modern Netflix-like content hub as a feature at the top menu in the header menu and call it a content hub. And then all these content that's produced to a modular content approach finds its place while a person who's managing an HTTP portal is not getting nervous about 
you know, completely shutting down what they are, what already works to a certain extent, but actually enriching it to meet the needs of a modern physician. So that's one way. Another um, another uh, distinction you mentioned, medtech executives. So medtech is a little bit different because oftentimes they use more video than pharma. And oftentimes they need video to educate doctors about the usage of their devices. So, uh-huh. for example, companies like Medtronic would have hundreds of videos just on use of their devices. So, however, as of today, we have yet to see, unless it's a, the designed by us, we have yet to see a content delivery portal, content hub, KOL video channel, no matter how you call it, first party owned by Pharma, that is personalized, easy to use. Netflix like so the need is there things are moving and progressing um and you know my my uh, uh hope is, is is that you know this will happen sooner sooner rather than later because that is an expectation and that is something I like to stress out every doctor <laughs> that knows what the great user experience looks like <laughs> and they now expect it every doctor uses Netflix Amazon Prime Spotify in the same way that you know, folks listening to this are likely on Spotify, Google, or on Apple, one of the three, or on their website, right? And they know they don't need any explanation. <laughs> what does that mean? And so we, we, what we try to do, and what when our focus is our company, is to make that technology part easier. Because if you think of the big components that are needed, once you have the content, you have curriculum, you have KOL, a list of KOLs, you have the topics, you have the length, you have some sort of editorial calendar, you have module approach, you have languages, then you say, how do I deliver it? Well, technology can be overwhelming. And most pharma executives that don't work in, in IT are not tech experts or software experts, and that's not their core capability. So instead of building and hiring 20, 30 people, uh, that's one of the reasons we exist is they can license the their the software, customize it to their needs, embed it in, in integrate to their system like CRM, CDP, SSO, and all that, and make sure that in 30 to 90 days, without hiring any new people, folks in IT, they can have a Netflix-like content hub. And once you have those two things in a much better shape, because you can now think more like, okay, how do I bring specific doctors? How do I drive media? How do I then, you know, look at the data and see if doctors watch video one, two, and three? It seems like after they do that, they actually click on something and ask to be visited. Yeah. Now we're talking about this Mercedes example because you see exactly what type of content drives high value action. And high value action would be, let me connect with this company and learn more. Oh, so if we were the Mercedes dealer, we would be seeing uh, the information that people are searching through at our hub and by by recognizing what content people are interacting with, we would then know how to engage them uh, personally in a more strategic way. Yes, and that's a really powerful distinction. I would like to throw one other term out, which is first party or first party data. Oh, okay. And if you if you have a content and you are a medical affairs professional and you say I want to create content X, Y, and Z to engage mm-hmm. doctors, and then you're thinking, okay, how am I? Where am I going to deliver the content? Through which channels? Typically, you will think of third party channels and first party channels. Third party channels like Medscapes and Doximities of the World are the channels that already have an audience. So you pay them for a click, you pay them for some guaranteed engagements, and then you get it pretty quickly because they have audiences, they can offer you that. And that those are pros. But the cons are that you are keep paying. You're not building your own audience. You keep paying for every click. And 
yeah. you don't get first party data, right? And that's becoming worse and worse as we speak because their cookies are going away and all kinds of things. Yeah. Now, first party data is data you own. Those are your own. It would, if it would be a physical world, it's like someone coming to our house rather than someone else's house. So our website, the Biomedical Affairs Professional, have my website, my content hub is my house. So I own the data. Yeah. And so if I have a doctor, Dr. Wolf, Dr. Mayer, let's say, watching videos, uh, re uh, listening to audio, uh, reading publications on my content hub, this Netflix-like, I have information about what they watch, how long they watch, how often do they come back, and we have a way to bring them back through personalized content recommendation through email, like Netflix does. Yep. I now know that, and I can use that first-party data to have much more meaningful conversation with that doctor in person, or if they want it, or if you know once MSL sees them. So that's really you know the power of such hubs and specifically video and audio content. All right. So owning first-party data, your 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 own on-site data. That seems like a best practice. Would you say it's a best practice to, um, or can you have everything everywhere all at once in, in one hub? Or are you talking about a best practice being to build multiple hubs for multiple purposes? What I'm wondering is if, okay, you know, one funnel, people come in, it's one content hub, you're a KOL, you're an HCP, you're, you're a patient advocate, you're a patient. Um, can everyone come the same place? Or do you think medical affairs organizations need to be building multiple content hubs for multiple purposes? Yeah, so that's a great question and it's a strategic decision. We see pharma companies doing one of two things. One, they want to have one stop, especially companies that have multiple uh, drugs in multiple specialties. Yep. So they want to have one stop shop. Example is PfizerPro.com, GSK Pro, Takeda Pro, Norman Nordis Pro. There are about seven companies that have Pro.com. So they kind of have everything in one place. Yep. And usually the medical affairs portals are multiple specialties. So now you have to register there, choose your specialty, and then you have the content. And so it's, you know, it's a lot of steps. The other approach is that you actually, especially if you have more than one product in one specialty, we see that like recent example with our respiratory, our client had three products in the respiratory space. So they decided to actually have a separate dedicated content hub. They didn't want to use the pro.com, mm -hmm. the dedicated content hub that just for respiratory experts. Yeah. And so if I'm a respiratory expert, I know that it's designed by a pharma company, but I see that everything is referred to it. It feels like it's more for me. There are less clicks. I can quickly register and get access to the content. I think everything has pros and cons. I think putting everything in one place across specialties is not the best user experience for doctors. However, it has some other pros, but ultimately it's, it's a strategic decision. Okay. I, I wonder if um, that strategic decision depends on knowing how each of these user groups is most likely to to find you. What I'm wondering is if you know if everyone's coming in because of a uh, medical specialty like respiratory, maybe you'd want to have that content hub focus on respiratory. But if if everyone is coming in, you know, through a specific product, th that would be another sort of acquisition pipeline that you could speak to. Or if if people are coming to you because you are, I don't know, Pfizer or something that would be another reason to build a, a, a content hub with certain remit. But okay, anyway, uh, <laughs> I think that is about as long as we can go on on this. Thank you, Bazi, for joining us today. Um, MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about 
Evermed, visit evermedtv.com. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.